the making of a godly leader from the fourth servant's song, Isaiah 52, verse 13 to the end of 53. Kupanga msukuleri wa umulungu. Kujoki lapa Isaiah 52, yanda lime 13, mpagana 53, visi ya kiyatorofu. This is the second of two parts on Isaiah 53, verse 1, all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 12. How a godly leader endures hardship and the purpose for these hardships. Ndigao la chuwiri la ndime ya chuwiri, Isaiah 53. This message is in both English as well as Chichua, language in Malawi. This message is given by Reverend Paul Bucknell and translated by Reverend Robert Gawindo. Yesterday we discussed, started discussing the fourth servant song. There's four of them in the last half of the book of Isaiah. And we looked at chapter 52, verse 13 to 15, as the first part. God has a special design for each one of our lives. Through different ways, he instills within us a burden, a vision, a dream. To move us into the pastoring or evangelism, evangelism or church planting. And it's because of that, we're stirred to, to leave the things perhaps we've been doing and then to focus more on caring for the sheep. In a more general way, we all have goals and hopes for our lives. Each one of us has a particular place on earth. A design we should not be ashamed of. So there's that design of life, our language, our, our birthplace. As well as those things that we encounter as we go through life. I mean, there might be some people who think, if I was more handsome, if my voice was better, more people might come to the church. <laughs> but God made us the way we are. And what we're going to look at today is to see and understand that Jesus is leading a path for us to walk on. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, talk about us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Now, if we look at him, we're going to learn two things. We're going to learn about the works that he did. We're also going to learn about the life he lived. Both of these are directly related to our own lives. 
Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Such a wonderful Savior. A mighty Savior. A loving Savior. Lord, when we go through hardships in life, help us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Help us to follow him. And you will bring us through. Just like you brought Jesus through. And so, Father, we ask for you to teach us now. So that your spirit might move upon our heart. And help us to understand these words. Bless and keep us, O oh Lord, we ask. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you have a Bible, open up to Isaiah 53. We have a lot to discuss today. Altogether, this fourth sermon song is made of five stanzas, each three verses. The first thing we're going to look at today is in chapter 53, verses 1 to 3. This discusses the difficulties of Christ's life. We often don't think about those things. When it talks about the sufferings of Jesus, we usually just think of his death. But we should remember both his life and death. So let's look and see what it's talking about here. What are those hardships that Jesus faced? Verses 1 to 3 it says, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The first thing it speaks about is Jesus' message was doubted. Did you ever have people reject your message? You ever have people just kind of sit there and see what's coming? You have some people there for a motive other than to listen to the word of God? Jesus faced the very same thing. Do you remember? They all wanted Jesus to be their king. They liked his preaching. Why? Well, he made fresh loaves of bread for them. <laughs> he gave them fish to eat. No wonder they wanted Jesus to be king. We all want a king like that, right? <laughs> well, he went up on the hill to pray. He was no doubt facing a lot of temptation. But he knew that was not the way to be king. He had another pathway to be king. One time Jesus was talking to his disciples, I think in John 6. Jesus challenged his disciples. John 6, 26. 
Johannes 6, 3, Dimensia 26. He was challenging, very challenging teachings. It says in 6.26, Truly I say to you, you seek me because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, John 6, 64, and who it was that would betray him. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And this is where Peter asked Jesus. Or Jesus asked, he said, do, do you also want to leave? And Peter responds, well, where else would we go? You have the words of life. But even these disciples, when the test got hard, did they follow Jesus all the way? No, even Peter. He said, I'll be faithful. But he denied Jesus three times. At that third time, he betrayed Jesus. He heard the cock crow. And Jesus looked at him through the courtyard. And he caught Peter's eyes. And Peter went out weeping bitterly. Sometimes we are tempted to change our message. We want to make the people happy and comfortable. Jesus would not change his message. He'd rather have the people leave if necessary. You see, Peter was right. This is the words of life. If we offer anything but the teaching of the word of God, it would be like eating dirt. No good for you. We need to feed the people with God's word. We need to strengthen God's people. Let us pastors, evangelists, not change our message. But if anything, get more close to God's word. And let God deal with the hearts of the people. We follow the path of Jesus. When people rejected the word of God from Jesus, He didn't make it easy. He didn't change His message. So we, like Him, have to be faithful to the word of God. Notice in verse 2, 
We know the first thing that Jesus' message was doubted. In verse 2, it talks about how he grew up like before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately majesty. Now you were thinking if God was going to send the Savior of the world, where would he put him? In a palace. In a great place. He would spend lots of money to take care of him and all the things. Where was Jesus born? He just happened to find a room for his mother. Coming from a long journey from the north. Dusty roads. He's fully pregnant. <laughs> and then being born in a place where the animals were kept. Having his home and the straw of, from the animals. It probably wasn't the cleanest place. But it was a place God chose for him to be born. In Malachi 5, 2, hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Excuse me, Micah 5, 2. It says, in Bethlehem you shall be born. God chose a humble place for Jesus to be born. Not only that, all the people in the village had suspicion about Jesus' family. In the Jewish marriage, they would first get engaged. And then the husband would come back about a year later and then take his wife to be his true wife. When they're engaged, they're fully married. But they're not able to come together. So when Mary was found pregnant during this time, all the townspeople looked very suspicious at Mary. And it says, Joseph, because he was a righteous man, was going to divorce her, put her away. But it's here that God spoke to Joseph. And said, no, you marry because that baby is from me. The townspeople, all you can understand, had a lot of suspicion toward that family. Oh, you had a dream, did you? 
That's why you're so pregnant. A dream, yeah, a vision from God. Do you think everybody understood and agreed? No. I... This is the background of Jesus. Family being rejected. He himself being rejected. Running off to Egypt as a refugee. And more than that, in verse 2, it says his appearance was not attractive. In fact, it hints at that he was actually ugly. No one wanted to look at him. So what are we thinking about? You see, each of us can think that we could live in a better place. A more wealthy family. More stature. Better looks. And think that our message, our ministry would be better. But Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, had none of those benefits at all. And what God is showing us all, never despise your background. You despise your background, you despise God. If you despise your background, you look down on Jesus. Jesus is showing us that your ministry has nothing to do with your background. It's the place, of course, where we will serve. But it's not the heart of our ministry. What God gives us is what we need to respond to. If he gives you extra special ministry gifts, then you are more accountable to use them in a way that brings glory to God. So what are we finding here? Don't look down on your hardships. Instead, look at how God blessed Jesus even he had all those problems. And that God could mightily use Jesus despite this background. Let's go on and look at verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide his face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus was socially rejected. Yes, Now some of us have faced this too. 
I go in the ministry and other people reject me. And it's often that the prophet is not accepted in his own home. Now that doesn't mean that we can be disobedient or look down on our parents. Now sometimes that's our fault. But Jesus was rejected because of the message, not the person. Rejected by who? Well, you would think that God sent Jesus with the message of truth. That all those people who knew about the word of God, who had all the prophecies in the Bible, they would say, Jesus, the Savior is here. But instead, those are the very ones that tried to kill him. And those in the end asked the Romans to kill him. He was rejected by those people that seemed to have God's word. And we face rejection like that too. But we need to persevere. Never look down on the hardships. Remember the mountaintop. We look at the goals we want, like on the other mountain over there. We dream how God wants to use us. If we despise these things in our background, or those things we encounter in life, then it's basically we're accepting the temptations and falling into temptation. We need to have faith that God will use these situations in our life and use them in such a way still to fulfill that dream. I remember once uh, a dad, my dad took my brother and I hiking up a mountain. It was so nice up there. And I said, well, why don't we go to that mountain? It looks so close. But when we had to go down to get there, down in the valley were all sorts of bugs. They were so small, but they bit and made big bites. Oh, it was so hard going through that valley. But that's something that God asked us to go through at times. We persevere. We don't focus on those hardships. If we do, we give up. We get discouraged. We feel defeated. And then you stop praying. You stop believing. And you stay down in that valley. We've got to keep our eyes on the goal, what God has for us. Let's go on and look at verses 4 to 6. 
Remember, there's always a purpose for suffering in the believer's life. It was true for the Messiah, our Master. And it's true with our lives. So let's think through what was the purpose of Jesus' suffering? Have you ever looked closely at a flower? Before it opens, it's all guarded with the leaves. But as it opens, the green leaves on the outside open up. And slowly, the petals open up themselves. Now if you walk by, you can say, that's a pretty flower. But if there's a bee around, you know, the bee goes right for the very inside of the flower. Now did you look real closely at a flower sometime? And you look in the inside of the flower. It's very delicate. The design is beautiful. And it's there the pollen that the bees search for. And the way that this chapter is written. These three verses, four to six, form the most delicate and precious inside portion. If you start reading about his suffering, his background, you will think there is nothing to read more about this person. But instead, we find that there's something very special about him. And here is verse 4 and 5. Notice. Again and again, how the word our is being used. Verse 4 Our grief he himself bore. Second line Our sorrows he carried. We ourselves esteemed him stricken. Verse 5 He is pierced through for our transgressions. Next line, he was crushed for our iniquity. The chastening for our well-being. And by his scourging, we are healed. This is the mystery unfolded before. Christ did not die by an accident. He says, for this I came to give, lay down my life for my sheep. When he died, he took our sins upon him. He did not die for his sins. He was righteous. Completely righteous. But he wanted to save us. And this is how he saved us. 
Because we're guilty. God's anger and wrath is upon us. We have no hope. What are we going to do? Can we try to be better? Well, we might try to be better in our own eyes. But before God, we're far from the standard. I was talking to two Muslims on the plane. And I was asking them about their fasting and their prayers. But then I said, well, you're not perfect, are you? I mean, you don't fully accomplish all that God has for you, do you? Oh, he said, no, no, of course not. But don't you believe that God, they call him Allah, is, is a holy God? Yeah, of course he's a holy God. And, and God, that holy God's going to judge all people, right? Yeah, yeah, he's going to judge all people. Well, what are you going to do? What about your sins? He didn't have an answer. I gave him my address. He said, when you find an answer, tell me. But I'll tell you my answer. That Jesus died for my sins. The righteous died for the guilty. And we have eternal life. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. The Muslims don't have any hope. They don't have any confidence. Our confidence is not enough. Our confidence is not that we've ministered for so long. Our confidence is in Jesus. The one who died for our sins. It was a miserable death. Why would they strip him of his clothes? Why would they pierce him? Why would he have to suffocate on the cross? He couldn't even carry the cross. That's our Jesus. He's the one we proclaim. Sometimes we proclaim ourselves. We got to proclaim Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. The author, he's the one that saves us. And perfecter of our faith. He starts our faith. And he completes it. It is not good enough for us just to follow Jesus into the kingdom of God. When we are in the kingdom of God, we still got to follow Jesus. This is our hope. Notice verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Don't say that you're so jealous of him, Kosa. Don't say that you're in the yen, Simjira, Yamini Eka. 
but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. What a beautiful picture. The shepherd was trying to call us. God was trying to call us. But we were the wayward ones. We went every way but his way. So God, in order to save us, had Jesus die for our sins. So in verse 4, it talks about the reasons why Christ died. Verse 5, talk about how Christ died. Verse 6 discusses the meaning of Christ's death. Let's go on and look at verses 7 to 9. This talks about the attitude of Christ's suffering. The attitude of Christ's suffering. He was oppressed and he, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearer. So he did not open his mouth. So in verse 7, it talks about he willingly suffered for us. What this means is that he was like a sheep. Going to be brought to the market. First, he was brought to be shorn. And then carried off to the market to be killed. He just went along. Could Jesus speak up? Could he say, I was righteous. I did no wrong. Of course. Could he have called angels to come and help him? In a flash, he could have asked 72,000 angels to be right there. When he was being accused, he heard all the accusations. None of them were true. He just listened. The judge of the world was being judged. He could have spoke. One time, when he was being betrayed up in the garden, the leader of the uh, priest came up and asked, Jesus, uh, are, are you Jesus the Christ? When he said, I am. All the soldiers fell backwards. He could have spoken up in the court. But he was quiet. One time he did speak up. And that was when 
that they have a Jewish understanding, a court understanding. When someone addresses you in a certain way, you have to speak up and respond to the uh, charge. The charge was, are you Jesus, the Son of God? And he was forced to answer. And he says, yes, I am. One day you'll see me coming from the heavens. But he just took it. Isn't it hard for people to accuse you of things? For you just to sit and to accept it? For you to focus on the needs of others more than yourself? Jesus did this. He leaves an example for us to follow. In verse 8 we see he terribly suffered. And in verse 9, he innocently suffered. We know that when he was when he died, that he was to have to be buried. Typically when a, a person would die on the cross, they would just take them all down and throw them in together. But there was one that God worked in, Nicodemus, to come and to get Jesus' body. They took Jesus' body and put it in the man of a righteous man. I'm of a righteous man. And this is what it prophesizes here. Verse 9 says, His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet was with a rich man in his death. It goes back to the book of Job, the, the message we were thinking last night. Typically, the wicked will die a terrible death. But God reversed things at the last moment here. And had him buried in a good place. And for God to show through this, that he truly was a righteous person. So we see here in these verses that Christ voluntarily gave up his life. He was like a sheep who died for us. But I want to spend a little bit more time on this last section. This is verses 10 to 12. And here he talks even more clearly about Jesus' mission. And God's understanding of sending Christ. Look at verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself a guilt offering. What kind of decisions do we usually make? 
Those things that we want to do. We choose we want to go to that place, buy some food for the supper. What did God choose to do here? It says God was pleased. It was his pleasure to crush the Messiah. It's something that pleased him. It wasn't just because he was looking, just trying to get at him and, and destroy him. God is not just satisfied in our suffering. God has a purpose for suffering. And that's why it says he was pleased, willing to give up his son so that he could become a sacrifice. And as we go on, we'll see three results here. Verse 10 still, he says, one, number one, he will see his offspring. What was God's purpose for Jesus dying? Yes, it was to save us. But this is the purpose, to gather people from all the nations into his kingdom. And as a result, it says he will see his offspring. Even Jesus, when he was living, he says, I have sheep who are not of the fold. He was always concerned for all the sheep that would be brought in. And so God has a great purpose in earth, on the earth. He's looking from all the mountains and the valleys to save lots of people. I was uh, just up in the mountains of India a couple weeks ago. I was talking to about 300 pastors and evangelists there. Uh, the mountains in India, at least these, have valleys in the middle of the mountain, up high. There's a lot of tribal people there. And so they are reaching out to these places that are unreached yet. Making sure the gospel gets to all those tribes. And they all speak different languages. And so you almost need a tribe that's next to that tribe to be able to reach over to that tribe. They might face, they do often face a lot of persecution. They often get beat up. I talked to some of them. They don't understand much of the scriptures. They don't have much education. And sometimes they don't have all the answers they should know. 
and they might get beat up because they don't know why there's so many Adam and Eve has so many people after them. <laughs> but they go on. Village to village. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope all the people in Malawi have heard the gospel. It's our job. Our duty. Because of this right here. We gotta look for the offspring. All the believers that would come into the kingdom. It says in the gospels. That when all those people come into the kingdom, then Jesus is going to come. I think that's coming pretty soon. I mean, I have people in the highest mountains, uh, friends, the highest mountains of uh, Himalayas. I know people in the huge cities of Shanghai. I think it's more than 15 million people. And what was the 15 million? You know, there aren't many unreached people yet left. We've got to make sure they're all reached. And this is why he empowered us with the Spirit of God. This is why he gave us gifts as the Spirit. I always thought it would be better if Jesus stayed here. <laughs> but he thought different. He went to heaven. But he sent his spirit down so we could carry out the mission. What a holy calling that is. How honored we are that we could do what Jesus was doing. I hope we can do it in the same way. We can do it with the same passion. We can do it with the same attitude. We can do it with the same goal. It also says that he will prolong his days. This is very significant. After all, Jesus died accomplishing his mission. But remember, he came alive. This is the importance of the resurrection. He appeared for more than 40 days to the disciples speaking and teaching after his death. And 1 Corinthians it says at one time there were 500 believers together when he appeared. And many were still living when Paul wrote that epistle. Jesus is alive. And he's leading us. He's leading us. The third thing it says here in verse 10, that the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, 
Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. We might be awake. There might be cults coming in. False teaching, immorality. But let's be sure that what Jesus wants to be done will be done. And that's why when we become an available servant, like Jesus was, the Spirit of God fills us. He motivates us. He moves us. We face all sorts of difficulties. And that God is working in our life. Remember the hope of building the church. It's not so much us. What's our hope? Our hope is Christ in us. When you get discouraged, find a quiet spot. Go back to your calling. And remember, I'm available. I'm going, you can tell the Lord about all your hardships. And you just say, Lord, you got to work through me. It's through your power. It's for your purpose. And for your glory. Remember our place. If God wants to do a miracle, he'll do it. Remember, we're just a vessel. That God fills and uses. A vessel that might hold some water. But why was water put in there? So you can drink. Not for ourselves. For others. And when we begin to understand what God has for our life. It's the same Jesus that lives in our life. The hardships we go through might be many. Just be faithful. This is our calling. In verse 11, we see here, a more clear definition of uh, salvation. Let's read it together. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and bear their many iniquities. Jesus 
Now we talked about this a little bit yesterday afternoon. In First John 2, 2. It talks about Christ being our propitiation. He's our special sacrifice. That word, propitiation, is four times in the New Testament. What it was was a sacrifice that would be offered up to a, a, a God that was angry. But when you offered it up, it would satisfy and appease the wrath of the God. Jesus satisfied God's wrath. Notice how he justified the many. My servant will justify the many. Paul uses this word justified. It means to declare righteous. And we re realize in the New Testament it is by Christ's blood that we are declared righteous, made righteous, justified. If you hear the word justified by faith, that phrase, this is what it's talking about. Every one of his people, he justifies them. You might be have done wrong. You might be feeling horrible. Don't look to your feelings. Look to Jesus. The image is that Christ, we are wrapped with Christ on the outside. Christ is like a white robe around us. When God looks at us, He sees Christ. And that's why we can pray to God. Not because of us. Because of Jesus. So when we're declared righteous, that's how God looks at us, as righteous. And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. We pray to the Father in His name. <laughs> if I pray because I'm Paul, God's not going to hear. In Jesus' name. And God here. Let's look at this last verse. He says, therefore, verse 12, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and intercedes for the transgressors. Jesus 
And what we find here is that the first stanza we looked at yesterday, verse 13 to 15 of chapter 52. Is very much like this last three verses. It's a summary, it's an overview. It's answering all those questions that were posed earlier on. Remember verse 14 and 15 of chapter 52? How can someone that looks so terrible and suffered such a death make us holy? He looks like he's suffering for his own sins. It was a question that was given earlier to us. And now we know why. When he died, it was for our sins. It was our salvation he cared about. Now God does not just want many people in his kingdom. Verse 12, he says he's raising up a whole big army. Who won the victory over Jesus, over Satan? Was it Jesus' strong disciples? No. Jesus. Yes. But here, what does he do? God awards him everything in the universe as being a faithful son. He was the available servant. He endured to the hard time. But Jesus said, my food is to do the will of God. And when he endured, he was greatly rewarded. And so Jesus is in heaven with all the rewards, right? That's not what this says. He took all those awards that he won from the war and he gave them to all of us, his people. That's what it's talking about in Ephesians 4 when he gives gifts to the, his people. You see, what he does is not only bring us in his kingdom, but he makes us work with him together in the kingdom. We're all co-workers with Jesus. Now he won the war. We're pretty weak. But he gives us the armor. He gives us his life, his spirit. And like from the dead, we come up like an army. To march across those plains. To reach the lost. To faithfully feed the sheep. Week after week, bringing God's word to them. 
wants us to participate with him. You and me. Yeah, I know our background. But still, he chooses us. Verses 
He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, for consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Proving to be examples for your flock. 
Jesus was our example. He was available. We make ourselves available. We become an example for others. And they are encouraged. We might face affliction in our ministry. But it's all part of God's design. Nothing will stop Jesus from building the church. He already died. He already came alive. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And he's completing his worldwide mission right now. One day he's coming back soon. He'll bring us all to glory. But I want you pastors to be faithful. I want to see that crown of glory put on your head because you are faithful. And I hope you see him put a crown of glory on my head because I was faithful. I can't just be faithful up to 60 years old. It's not good enough. I got to be faithful to the end. Just like the Apostle Paul. He was facing death. When he wrote 2 Timothy, he said, I was faithful. I accomplished what God called me to do. He knew the goal. He was beaten many a time. But he went on. Christ's spirit. And he said, I know there is waiting for me. An unfading crown of glory. And not to me alone. But to all those who are eagerly waiting the return of Christ. What glory. A ministry is an honor. It's an honor to make ourselves available to Jesus. Let's just have a word of prayer here. Lord, we're your available vessels. We've been hearing lots of things about our own struggles. We thank you for the example of Jesus. We know that the success of our ministry does not depend on what kind of ministry we hope to have. It matters instead on who we are and how we have your Holy Spirit come and work in and through our lives. Speak to us, O Lord. Help us, O Lord, to be like Jesus. That our sheep will also be like Jesus. As we endure hardship, 
and prove to be an example to the flock. In Jesus we pray.